Welcome to another edition of the Thoroughbred Daily News Writer's Room. My name is Bill Finley. I'm a correspondent for the Thoroughbred Daily News. I also co-host the Down the Stretch Show on Sirius XM Radio with Dave Johnson. I want to remind you that this week and every week, TDN Writer's Room Broadcast is brought to you by our good friends at Keeneland. My name is Randy Moss. I work for NBC Sports. I think I might have had my mouth wide open right when we started because, you know, Bill doesn't wait for anyone. So I'm Zoe Catman with my mouth still wide open. Back home in Southern California, Doodle's jet lagged right behind me if you can see him there. And we are ready to roll. It's, it's good to be home. Saratoga was great, but I am so glad to be home, at least for a couple of days. Well, even though the meet is over, the subject will be Saratoga. Zoe was there for the whole time. Randy and I were watching courtesy of simulcasting and ADWs. And uh, it was a meet where a lot of news was made. A lot of it bad news, some of it good news. But I wanted to take a chance now to just sort of look back at Saratoga. And, you know, we know everything that went wrong. Unfortunately, it was a lot. We had the 12 fatalities that were big news, including um, eight during racing, four during uh, morning training, and the two big ones with uh, New York Thunder and Maple Leaf Mel in the grade ones. The weather was atrocious. The handle was way down. It was down about 9%. Um, you know, the numbers are still good. It was uh, the Saratoga handles, eight hundred million dollars or they missed it by just a, a hair seven hundred and ninety nine thousand dollars but guys all things considered and you know we're gonna in, in another segment we're gonna talk about some of the highlights of the meet the good races and everything i just think it, it you can't put a uh, uh you, you can't put a good spin on this meet too many things went wrong the weather was terrible um and it just seemed to me like this was a saratoga meet where after so much momentum was built up year after year after year after year it was the first kind of meet and i put, put it in the thoroughbred daily news headline where they lost their mojo and the nine percent down in handle that has an awful lot to do with the races coming off the turf, but I don't think that's all there was to it. I think even if they had good weather, and I can't, I have no numbers to prove this, but it's just my inclination that it was more than the bad weather that cost them the handle. So throwing a lot out there for you guys, Randy Moss, your take now that Saratoga 2023 is in the history books. Well, obviously, Saratoga is always going to be under the microscope. It's the royal ascot of America. It's the crown jewel of American racing seasons. It continues to be uh, the best racing that America has to offer from start to finish. It's unfortunate that we had uh, especially the two uh, horrific breakdowns that we saw with Maple Leaf Mel and with New York Thunder that sort of cast a pall on the meeting. Um, it it is by Saratoga standards, and I want to emphasize that, uh, more of a forgettable Saratoga when you look at the recent trends and the stuff that's been going on there. Uh, but I do think that the, that the betting decline uh, can almost all be attributed to the weather. 65 races taken off the turf compared to uh, 65 compared to 16 a year ago. 
Um, attendance was up a tick. It was a record attendance, yet on-track handle was down by 6%, and off-track handle was down by 11%. That just tells me that the wagering product was not seen by the big betters as being up to Saratoga standards. And really, the only reason for that you can come up with is that so many races were taken off the turf with the scratches and that that, that always brings to bear. Um, it's unfortunate the other things that happened at Saratoga, but uh, it'll you know I think with better weather and hopefully more safety protocols, et cetera, et cetera, for 2024, I think Saratoga can get right back on track. So hold on one sec, because I want to add uh, something a little bit to that. And again, like I said, I, I don't have all the numbers. I'm not smart enough to be able to put it together. But there are some things that stood out to me why I'm saying that I don't think it was necessarily all the weather. Traverse Day handle was off uh, $5 million. No weather factors there from year to year. Jockey Club Gold Cup handle day was off $5 million. No um, weather factors there. That's $10 million right there of the the amount that they lost now the, the handle went down 79 million just came up with on two days 10 million of it on days where weather uh, wasn't a factor and uh randy when um track executives look at at the pertinent numbers one thing they always look at is the average amount bet per wagering interest because that takes all the other noise out of there the off the turf etc and that was down 6.2 percent so um you know again i'm, I'm not i'm not going to say a horrible me that saratoga's finished nobody's betting of course i'm not saying that i just i just think that they they i think i'll put it this way i think they finally peaked which is you know that they they it took them 25 years to to peak well, it's pretty remarkable as it is, but I think Saratoga, based on these numbers, and I could be proven wrong next year when they handle a nine hundred million. But I just think the meat the meat has come to a peak has, has peaked at some point. I mean, it can't keep going up, 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 up forever, right? At some point, you're going to reach a peak. Um, maybe it impacts you know when you when you get that many people at the track. Maybe it, it impacts the fan experience. You know, I don't know. Uh, but it's still, uh, you know, it's still the crown jewel of American horse racing, as you pointed out. Uh, it's still a fabulous racing season. Hopefully, it'll get back on track next year. Mm -hmm. I think many tracks um, would be glad to peak at eight hundred million. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, can handle for the meet. I mean, let, let's be perfectly honest. It it was still a, a good meet as far as handle, as far as the Travis Day handle being down. Uh, the breakdowns were there were two breakdowns earlier on in the card and a lot of people just like, yeah, I'm done. I, I, that would be more so the on track handle than the off track handle. But where there was a major contributing factor, because not only were the races taken off the turf, the ones that weren't, you didn't know what shape the turf course was in. It was a softer turf course. So, you know, I, I like to dabble a little bit and have a few wagers. There were some races I just wasn't betting on because it was on an off track. It was on mm -hmm. a good track. The turf was soft. I don't know who's going to like it. And I think this overflows into a, a lot of the bigger gamblers as well, perhaps avoiding those softer turf days because it could be a grab bag. You don't know who's going to handle it. You don't know who's not going to handle it. So weather was the number one contributing factor for, I believe, every single thing that went on at Saratoga. Next year, they're likely to have perhaps a longer meet. I mean, there's talk of Sarah, um, the Belmont Stakes being held there. We don't know when they're going to be held, but 
I don't think it's peaked. Next year may be the, the best meet of all if the weather stays good, especially if they're going to have the Belmont Stakes there. We don't know. It was a travesty that it was generally a horrible meet by the larger part of things, but there were some good things to come out mm -hmm. of it as well. But weather was the number one attributing factor for sure. Let me throw something else in there, Bill. I'm not suggesting that this is a major contributing factor, but I personally know some big betters who dialed back their action on Saratoga out of frustration with the stewards and stewards decisions and mm -hmm. not stewards decisions. Just this past just this past week, uh, we had Javier Castellano on a horse who veered in at the start. It wasn't Javier's fault, veered in badly at the start, uh, caused a rider breaking from post one to be unseated. The horse went on to win the race. They didn't even put up the inquiry sign. Mm. I got like four text messages right away. You, you, you got to see this head on. Not only did they not disqualify the horse, they didn't even put up the inquiry sign. So, you know, that's also something that I think needs to be addressed uh, in the future at Naira. A, a good point. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. So as Zoe touched on some of the things that we may uh, be looking forward to for Saratoga in the future. And we were told a while back that the uh, 2025 Belmont Stakes would likely be run at Saratoga. Now they're talking about the 2024 Belmont Stakes as well. Um, we don't know quite how that would all work. Um, I, I would guess that they would start at Aqua. It looks like the Belmont to me, from reading between the lines, I don't think we're going to see racing at Belmont Park until 2020, again, until 2026, if that's the, that's the timeline for when they think the new grandstand will be built. So I would imagine they would start out at Aqueduct Run, uh, you know, May, June, et cetera, or, or, or April, May, and then maybe around Preakness time or something like that, or, or maybe a little bit later. I don't think they're going to take the uh, entire Belmont spring meet, transfer it to Saratoga, then add Saratoga onto it. But having said that, it's going to be really cool to see the Belmont stakes run at Saratoga. And they also came out and I'm glad they said this because it, it, it um, took care of any ambiguity. Uh, the race will be run at a mile and a quarter. You can't run a mile and a half race at Saratoga with the configuration of that racetrack. So Randy, um, you looking forward to uh, the 2024 Belmont stakes at Saratoga at a mile and eighth. Trishos won't like that. Will they? Yeah, what happened? To, what happened to all this tradition? You can't change the triple crown. What, what is this? A run of Belmont at a mile and a quarter? Come on, guys. There is a way to run it at a mile and a half. I, I'm sorry, I said a mile and eighth. I meant a mile and a quarter. Of course. Yeah, we, yes. you, not, you said a mile and a quarter. There, Today, okay. Yeah, there is a way to run it at a mile and a half. You just make the 16th pole an alternate finish line, like they do at Keeneland and Oakland and mm -hmm. the fairgrounds. You'd have an 815 foot stretch. You'd have a short stretch. But then you'd be starting the race at the four and a half pole, and then you could back up the run up even a little bit further from there. Uh, so there is a way to keep it at a mile and a half if they uh, if they really wanted to. And in the date, uh, they have come out and said, I believe June 8th is what so uh, Belmont can, or Naira continues to, um, you know, stick its feet in the ground about uh, moving the Belmont stakes, even as, as uh, first racing is talking about moving the Preakness. So uh, we'll see what happens there. Going to be very, very interesting to see because nothing's written in stone with first and nothing's written in stone with Naira other than they've said they've not moving, but things can change. We'll have to wait and see. 
And a subject we've talked a lot about, of course, over recent podcasts is synthetic surfaces. They are also now talking about putting in a synthetic track at uh, Saratoga. Now, it would not replace the main track. It would be like that they have it, what they have at Gulfstream and what is coming to Belmont. It would be still another option used primarily when the races come off the turf. And boy, could they have used that this year because those 11 horse turf races get washed off the turf and you wind up with three horse fields. If they get washed off the turf and then go to synthetic, you usually get nine or 10. So, um, I, I like that. I like, I, I like that Naira is, is being bold about its future, thinking about things and not just, just sitting back and resting on its laurels. Um, cha- you know, moving the Belmont stakes to Saratoga, putting in a sin- synthetic track potentially at Saratoga. Just think how much, mo- how much handle they would have saved this year if they had a synthetic track those handle numbers they wouldn't have been down nine percent that's for sure the tdn writers room is brought to you by keeneland it was quite a weekend for keeneland september alumni with a lot of graduates showing they had a bright future including pun intended bright future the winner of the jockey club gold cup saturday at saratoga Bright Future was a $350,000 2020 Keeneland September graduate. On the West Coast, Arabian Knight, who was a 2021 $250,000 September grad, got home first in the Grade 1 Pacific Classic. And Keeneland had not one, but two TDN Rising Stars this past week. Locked took home a Saratoga maiden race on Friday. He was a $425,000 September grad. And Agat Road earned the honors on Saturday. He was a $650,000 September purchase. This year's September sale kicks off Monday and runs through September the 23rd. Learn more at theworldyearlingsale.com. We'll be right back after this message from Keeneland. If this place could talk, it would roar. It would say... This is racing, this beating heart in the heart of horse country, steady and strong beneath the roar, reminding us why, for the love of the horse, for generations to come. The TDN Writers Room is brought to you by Stone Street. Stone Street will offer 59 homebreds at the upcoming Keeneland September sale taking place from September the 11th through the 23rd, including hip number 100, a colt by Tappet out of the multiple grade one stakes winner, Dream Rush. This colt is a half brother to grade one stakes winner, Dreaming of Julia, who produced champion three-year-old Philly Malathat as well as Julia Shining. Just look at him, he's a hunk. He is selling with Denali Stud and you can see him in person at Keeneland Sales Ground in barn number five at Denali. Stone Street's book one offerings alone include Colts and Phillies by Top Sires, Tappet, Good Magic, Uncle Mo, Into Mischief, and Curlin. Stone Street, born to run, raised to win. So we've talked about some of the things that didn't go quite so well at Saratoga. Let's talk about the things that did. And uh, I wrote down, I jotted down my highlights of the meet, and I'll go through through them real quickly, and and, and I would imagine that Zoe and Randy would probably agree with most of these. First of all, Archangelo winning the Travers. Tremendous performance in that race. It was a race where we wanted to find out who was the best three-year-old male on the dirt. We not only found out, we found out with the definitive performance 
where Archangelo proved without a shadow of a doubt he's number one. Jenna Antonucci's story has been a great story throughout the year. She did it again. Um, Echo Zulu winning two big races, the Honorable Miss and the Ballerina getting 112 buyer figures, and each one ties Cody's wish for the best figure of any horse to run in the U.S. Uh, this year. And how about Linda Rice? She was she won the first race of the meet, the last race of the meet. With 20 races to go, she trailed Chad Brown by five wins, and she caught him in the very uh, last race. This was the fifth consecutive title. She either won or finished in a tie for first place at Naira, starting with the 2022 Aqua Fall Meet. What she's been doing over the last year and a half is absolutely remarkable. But my number one highlight of the meet, Casa Creed. Seven years old, two stakes wins, including the four-star Dave, wins the Kelso. Lee Einsiler, who we had on uh, as a, a Green Group guest of the week a couple weeks ago, easy guy to root for. I just think that that seven-year-old, cool old horse winning that grade one, that's my vote for the highlight of the meet. You guys? Yeah. You don't even need me and Zoe. You got all the you got all the highlights laid out there perfectly, Bill. You'd have to talk about doing your homework. Um, it would be the Travers for me, I think, and Jenna Ananucci, you know, again uh, winning following the Belmont Stakes, obviously with with Archangelo. But uh, all of those, Echo Zulu, she would be my vote for Horse of the Meat if I uh, if I actually had a vote. Yeah, for me too, Archangelo. Great to see Katie Petruniak's piece last week on taking the canoe into the infield there at Saratoga into the lake. I don't think I've ever seen anyone actually sit in that canoe, but the pictures of Jenna and Robert, the exercise rider, in the canoe paddling it, just just perfect. And horse racing needs someone like Jenna right now. You know, on Travers Day, she saved the day. She's a good spokesman for the sport. She's very good on social media. She's doing her work with the DRF as well. But she's been engaging with the fans, like wandering around and, and interviewing random fans. Everything she's doing is what the sport needs more of right now. So I do applaud her. Delighted to see Linda Rice tie the trainer's title. I know Chad Brown must have been spitting bricks. He won the opening race on the last day of the meet and had 10 other chances, six seconds and Linda Rice just snags it in the very last race and they tie for the title. And Linda was quoted after she won her first race of the meet. Can you be the leading trainer? Unlikely. When she was leading trainer back in 2009, I believe she won 20 races. She said she would have been glad to win 20 races. She won 35 and tied with Chad Brown. So kudos for her, her win percentage, was higher than Chad Brown's. Uh, Chad Brown, you you know, you got to feel for him a little bit. 65 races taken off the turf. That is the bulk of his stable right there. So for him just to tie in first place with a plethora of turf runners speaks volumes for his stable and how far it has come with their dirt runners. He can no longer be pegged as purely just a turf trainer. But kudos to Linda Rice and her team, Jose Ortiz, everyone working very, very hard to get that done. I think her final total was 147 starts, 35 wins. Chad was 183 to 35. And Chad's primary uh, owner, uh, Seth Klarman, had another fantastic meet at Saratoga. You go back and look at the last 10 years, I think 
or thereabouts. He's topped the owner standings at Saratoga. Saratoga is also always about top two-year-olds. And Klarman had arguably, I thought, the two most impressive of the two-year-olds to run. He had the Philly Ways and Means, who was an unlucky loser in the spinaway last weekend. And on Saturday, he had a horse break his maiden by the name of General Partner, uh, the 92 buyer speed figure. I thought visually was extremely impressive. And I think you'll probably hear some noise uh, about General Partner when it comes time for the champagne at Belmont. And Irad Ortiz, love him or hate him, he's dominating once more. What was he, 65 to Jose's 25. That's a big spread. I guess it'll be the champagne at Aqueduct, Bill, right? Yes, it will be. Yes. Or, be, or back, B-A, Belmont at Aqueduct. Remember, they they, yeah. they, they branded it differently. So um, we go out w- with the Jockey Club Gold Cup, as you guys mentioned. I, you know, I'm not going to knock Bright Future, but it, it is a re- guy who's been following New York racing since the 70s and, and you know, somewhat of a historian. It, it pains me to see a race of the magnitude of the Jockey Club Gold Cup turn into just another race. Um, you know, you didn't have any of the big stars in there. Good luck to Bright Future. He, he did look good, but uh, the only other time he even tried graded stakes opponents, he ran in the Brooklyn and he got beat about four football fields. So I don't know how good he is. Um, the uh, spin away, as you mentioned, Randy, um, a, a big effort from ways and means, but I was just generally um, disappointed to see uh, her get beat, even though she got beat by a good horse in, in bright work. Cause I, I almost like you after that maiden race, I thought, wow, the sky's the limit for this horse. I mean, you know, if you could find a future book for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies, I'm getting down. Have you seen on the her. head on yet? No, I, I, I understand all that. Yeah, she ran great, but I was just disappointed she that she didn't tails. win. She now, and how about the hopeful? And a shout out, Gary Contessa has won two races all year. Two races at all year. They just happened to be the Schuylerville and now the hopeful with Nutella Fella, a $12,000 Keeneland September purchase. They bought privately after the horse broke its maiden at Delaware Park. And the first ever grade one winner for uh, the sire run happy. So I'm sure Mattress Mac was doing somersaults. Randy, I'll, uh, you, you have this great knowledge of history and you go down the rabbit hole. I'm going to ask you this question. Who was the last hopeful winner to win the Kentucky Derby? Can I actually stump him, Zoe? What do you think? Oh, you're totally, yeah, you totally, you totally stumped me. Carry it on the hopeful, but I know there have been, there have been a lot more since then. All right, go ahead. Well, it just goes to show you how how hopeful winners have not fared well coming into their three-year-old year. Affirmed in 1977, wow. the hopeful winner, and of course, the Triple wow. Crown winner of 1978. Now, Fleet Alex did win the uh, hopeful and came back to win some Triple Crown races, but the last Kentucky Derby winner, you have to go back to Affirmed in 1977. Zoe, I stomped him. Can you believe it? That's amazing. Did Secretary wow. even run in the hopeful? I don't I think yes, he did. I, I he did. I he won. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, so anyways. did you happen to see the clip of Mattress Mac eating no. the Nutella? There's oh, a clip yeah, of him that's right. Yeah. He looks like he hates it. I mean, how can you not like <laughs> Nutella? But he was trying to eat the Nutella and praise Nutella fella for winning. And he was just it just looked like it was excruciating <laughs> for him to eat the Nutella for Run Happy's first grade one winner. So yeah, well done to Gary Contessa. I think Ways and Means will face off again with Bright Work 
in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. But you, you should take a good look at that head on. She clipped heels and then tried to run off down the backside. Right. Uh, and I imagine they'll meet in the Frazette in between as well yeah. before they head to the uh, Breeders' Cup Juvenile yeah. Phillies. So, so. More on the Jockey Club Gold Cup, just a, just a bit. I mean, it, it was it was a great three-level stakes. And, and I don't know what Naira can do about it, given the Whitney earlier in the meet and given its position on the calendar uh, on Labor Day weekend. Uh, hopefully this is kind of a one-off and it'll rebound again next year. But what's interesting to me about Bright Future, I think a proxy's probably a better Breeders' Cup Classic type horse at a mile and a quarter. Bright Future got away with three quarters and 114.10 and Proxy was, uh, was really getting to him at the end of the race. Uh, but Bright Future is a son of Curlin. He's owned by uh, Micropoli and Vinny Viola. Uh, 2019, they won the Jockey Club one, finished first in the Jockey Club Gold Cup by a nose. Again, Rapoli, Viola, Todd Pletcher, uh, with a horse named Vino Rosso, who, like Bright Future, is a son of Curlin. Now, in that particular instance in 2019, if you recall, he was disqualified. Yes, the stewards will actually disqualify Irad Ortiz in a grade one stakes race. They did it with Vino Rosso. <laughs> Back then, and he went on Bright Future in his very next start to go to Santa Anita and win the Breeders' Cup Classic. That's exactly the pattern that Rapoli and Vinny Viola are hoping for with this son of Curlin. But he's much less accomplished, I think, than Vino Rosso was at this stage of his career. So uh, he's got a lot more work to do, I think, than Vino Rosso did. GD and Riders Room also brought to you by the Pennsylvania Horse Breeders Association. A couple of anniversaries to note. First of all, the PHBA is celebrating 75 years since its founding. Over the past 10 years, the PHBA Breeding Fund has distributed an average of $28.5 million each year in awards, in owner bonuses, in restricted race purses and Breeder and Stallion Awards. The other anniversary, congratulations to PHBA Executive Director Brian Sanfratello, celebrating a 50-year wedding anniversary. Way to go, Brian. Uh, reminder, the next two races in the PA Sire PA Bread Stallion Series, September 23rd, each at six and a half furlongs, each with a purse of $150,000. To learn more about that and about owner, owning and breeding, uh, in Pennsylvania, in general, you can go to PA Breeder. It's an email address, not a website. Email pabreeder at gmail.com. The PA Horse Breeders Association presents the Pennsylvania Stallion Series. Six races for PA Sire, PA Bred two-year-olds at parks. Two $100,000 contests at five and a half furlongs. On August 21st, PA Day at the Races. September 23rd, PA Derby Day has two races at six and a half furlongs, both with a $150,000 purse. And in December, two races going long, each worth $200,000. For more, go to pabred.com. The TD and Riders Room is brought to you by the Fast Sires at Windstar Farm. This week, we're going to talk about Outwork, the third leading fourth crop sire by grade one winners behind only not this time. And Nike was just this week. He got a grade one winner with Bright Work. We talked about winning the spinaway stake. She's now four for four lifetime. And it's the second straight year that Outwork has sired the winner 
of the Spinaway. Last year, Leave No Trace, also a daughter of Outwork. And why not? Outwork had precocious two-year-old form himself. He broke his maiden in April at Keeneland in one of those four and a half furlong baby races. And of course, also won a grade one in New York, the Wood Memorial as a three-year-old Outwork standing stud at Windstar Farm. This week's fastest horse is of the week. Yes, two of them. Obviously, Bright Future winning the Jockey Club Gold Cup with that 103 buyer speed figure, but also getting a 103 buyer. Same day, West Coast, Del Mar, the Green Flash Handicap went to Motorious, owned by Anthony Fantacola, trained by uh, Phil D'Amato, who had three horses in the race. He finished first, third, and fourth in the Green Flash. Motorious in his last six starts, has had four wins in two seconds. That was a five furlong turf race at Del Mar. So he obviously becomes one of the leading West Coast candidates for the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint at Santa Anita. Two fastest horses of the week, Bright Future and Motorious. The TD and Writers Room is brought to you by The Green Group, a tax accounting, consulting, and advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry. For more information about how The Green Group can save you some hard-earned cash, go to www.greenco.com. And we welcome in now The Green Group Guest of the Week, and it's none other than Ted Nicholson. Vice President of Racing at Kentucky Downs. The meet started last week, continues through this weekend. And Ted, it's such a great story every year because Kentucky Downs just gets bigger and better and richer, better horses, bigger fields, more money being bet. This year, you have 11 stakes races worth $1 million or more. The purses are astronomical, $150,000 made in special weight races. But take me through the economics of Kentucky Downs. I mean, obviously this revenue is coming from the historical horse racing machines. What's happening that every year you're able to put more and more money into the program? Well, it's it's a great question, Bill, and thanks for having me. Um, so the, the HHR machines obviously generate the lion's share of the business. Um, but they also, um, with, with the, um, the added element of us having satellite locations. So we have a, a satellite location in Bowling Green that is also, uh, generating HHR revenue. So that also helps us, um, on the purse side, but that also that revenue or that, that purse structure, uh, money also goes to Keeneland and to Alice. We, we send that money through the uh, KTDF and the HBPA every year. Yeah, Ted, I think that's something. It, it doesn't fly under the radar so much in the industry, but I think racing fans uh, don't really realize the extent to which Kentucky Downs uh, casino revenues, uh, HHR revenues, support the other purse structures of racetracks in Kentucky. Talk about that a little bit and how that got started and to what level uh, you're contributing to the purse structure around the state. Randy, that's a that's also a good question. It, and, it, and it all started back probably before I got here. And I got here in 2015. Um, it was a it was a joint effort between the KTDF, uh, the previous owner, Corey Johnson, and the HBPA. And we saw in 2014 uh, uh, starting to elevate um, our, our, we only had a few, we only ran five days. And I think Corey felt like 
we really needed to prop up Ellis Park because there was such a large gap between Ellis and the others. Um, and so before I got here, they had discussed trying to get them as much excess, any surplus that Kentucky Downs was going to have at the end of each year, we would earmark that money towards uh, per structure at Ellis to get them to a little bit higher level. And that started off, um, I believe the first year they did that was 14. And that was right before I got here. And that was about $300,000 that was sent to Ellis. Last year or this year, we sent Ellis 4.5. And that's, a, again, it's a, that 4.5 million is, is a combination of, of KTDF and, and the HBPA association money. And we've seen in those, what, nine years, eight, nine years that, you know, it just didn't, you know, go from A to B. It, it, it was a stair step elevation every year of being able to, to get monies to the, to Ellis and recently to Keeneland. Um, and the Keeneland piece was to try and help Keeneland get into, especially in the spring to compete with Oakland because Oakland's purses had, elevated to a point where a lot of trainers were saying, should I race this maiden at Oakland or should I, you know, you know, or, or not just maiden, but the, any horse at Oakland or should I wait for Keeneland like I normally would? And so that we wanted to alleviate that question in their mind. Um, and then with Ellis, we saw a lot of, of local Louisville, Lexington trainers who Normally, probably would have taken a shot sending horses up to Saratoga, but decided, you know what, the pots aren't that bad at, at Ellis. So, you know, why not run there? And, and, and they've always had a very safe surface at Ellis. So that was kind of a combination, too. If you had a baby, you'd probably rather try and run them at Ellis than you would sending them to run against the millionaires at Saratoga. Just want a quick follow. So is this all benevolence or do you see it? tangibly helping Kentucky Downs? You know, it's really a benevolent thing that was started. There's obviously for, for the whole, the whole Commonwealth of Kentucky, it's important. And that's why this was started. There's, you know, we want to make sure that when horses, when, when owners and trainers are sitting there in, in Lexington at the sales, they're making a decision based on not just our meat or Keelan's meat. They're making it based on the whole, the whole uh, region because you really want your horses to stay localized. And what we've seen, I think, over the course of the last, at least for me, the last four or five years, is we're getting a lot more owners that want to race here because they have a Kentucky bread and it makes way more sense for them to run in Kentucky than they would in California. The, the cost of living in California has gotten out of control. Um, uh, you know, every expense is more than double what it is, you know, in Kentucky. So it makes more sense. You're running for twice as much money, but your expenses are half. Any businessman would do that math. So essentially, you are boosting a year-round Kentucky circuit, and it's going to benefit Kentucky Downs as well. 2017, total handled $30 million. Last year, a whopping $80 million, which leads me to your next question. You put in some improvements there. 
I was last at Kentucky Downs 21 years ago. Where are you right now? Are you in the brand new hotel? I, I actually am in one of the suites uh, in the hotel that sits at the eighth pole. So, yeah, we've done a lot. Um, uh, every year we try to pick off something or some things that we can do to improve um, the facility for whether it's for horsemen um, or whether it's a guest experience. This year is kind of a combination. The guest experience is the hotel. Um, you know, you all weren't here last year. Um, but we had like a big, ugly blue fence that surrounded the hotel because it was under construction. That's all gone. Everything looks wonderful. Um, actually, on Sunday, we're going to have a pool party that sits, you know, right, again, right at the eighth pole. So you could be hanging by the pool and then go make a bet, go watch the race at the rail, all within 100 feet of each other. Um, and so, yeah, we try to do everything that for all and not just zero in on one thing. And this year... On the horseman side, we built a, a horseman's viewing deck, which we've never had before. I used to see a lot of horsemen try to sneak up to the media tower so that they could kind of get a better view of their horses coming down the stretch. So in lieu of that, we, uh, you know, what we decided was just as a horseman come out of the paddock, um, instead of them walking out to the apron, we built a, a viewing deck right there. It's right at the wire. It's a perfect location. And so far in the first three days, it's been extremely well received. The other, I think some people might think is a minor improvement, but it really, I think, is a big improvement. And I got probably just as many wows from it um, than I did the horseman viewing area is we did a lot of asphalting in space that was mostly gravel in years past. And, it, you know, as a horse person, you can you can fully understand if you were in one of those barns that's right near the gravel, that dust comes up and you don't want your horses breathing that. So we've really made a concerted effort to asphalt as much as we possibly can in not only in the backstretch, but also that roadway that leads from the backstretch to the jock quarters. Ted, I know this question comes up every year, but I'll ask it again. You have so much money to allocate towards purses. You get such big fields. Uh, you, you get a very robust handle. Uh, is there any room, if it's this good now, why wouldn't you add, I'm not saying going to a 30-day meet, but why wouldn't you add a couple of days to the meet? The only answer that I could give you, Bill, that's, that's – um on my mind would be safety. And that's obviously on everybody's mind these days is safety. And, and so if I added a day, um, it would have to be a day where um, it would be a, almost like a spare day because the reality is, is when you run 75 races over a turf course and we have three lanes, don't get me wrong, but if you run three if you're running um, on three lanes, 75, you know, you're running 25 on average races on, a, on, a, on each lane. That's a lot of pounding. I mean, I've got the best turf guy in the business with Butch Lear, who used to be at Churchill for 45 years. But even Butch would shake his head and go, I wouldn't do it. So to answer your question, I, I think we're going to be at seven for a little while um, until I can figure out how I can add a fourth lane. You got the same turf usage problems as Ascot and Goodwood, <laughs> places like that now. Um, so Kentucky Downs always had uh, one of the lowest takeout rates, the lowest probably, 
of of any of any racetrack in America. Fourteen percent win place and show, for example. This year, you made the decision to boost takeout one percent across the board, uh, in spite of how much success you've had uh, in the wagering product over the last few years. What led to that decision? Well, I can tell you straight out, Randy, it wasn't easy. It wasn't made in a vacuum. Um, the decision was really a tough one. Um, it was made back in February. I think I think Jenny put out a press release um, back in early March um, that we were going to do it. Um, and the reason behind it was I, 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 I had to find a way to find some revenue. It's great to have great big purses. Um, like you said, $80 million in, 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 um, in handle last year. But when you're running only for two weeks and you have an inordinate amount of expenses to put up a temporary show, it's not like, um, you know, I was at Arlington, we just flicked on the we flicked on the, the lights and, and you know, spruced up the, the grounds and made Mr. D happy and away we go. Well, you can't do that here. We don't have a grandstand. So I have a lot of tents. I have a lot of temporary um, expenses. I have to ship in stuff. Uh, our TV crew's temporary. Our, our, um, basically, everybody's temporary. And so I, I have 60 people that live here temporarily, which means I put them up in hotels um, to pull off this show for two weeks or three. They're here at typically for three weeks. So I have a lot of expenses. They're all going up. Even, even the people that you see in between the races, um, those folks that are on the turf and they're tamping down those divots, those folks used to work for $10 an hour. Now it's 25. So you can see where my expenses have gone. Now, on top of that, you fold into getting a bill from HISA for $650,000 for a seven-day race meet. And that's something I think a lot of people don't realize, um, that, you're, that you're having to swallow something that before I was paying the state of Kentucky $48,000 for the same exact uh, work that's being done, like the processes that the state of Kentucky does or has been doing, it really didn't change much because I think HISA utilized what Kentucky's um, policies and procedures were. And they they said, yeah, you guys do it right. Let's invite the rest of us, the rest of the racetracks in, in Kentucky and some of the bigger tracks around the country have had to take the brunt of, of the expenses. So when you fold in the inordinate amount of expenses that have been skyrocketing and the, and the HISA bill, I felt like had to go a little higher. Now, you said that we used to have the lowest purse structure or the takeouts in the United States. We still do. We're, we're, when you take the blend of bets, and that's why I did it. I was, you know, there were some, you know, that would probably say, hey, well, why didn't you go higher? Well, I'm not, I, don't, I didn't want to go higher. I wanted to keep the horse players happy and I wanted to be able to be 1% under, at least 1% under the, the bigger tracks. So Keeneland is 19.2. We're at 18.2. Churchill is 19.9. Uh, California is 20.2. I think New York is like 20. 
So we're still far below what everybody else that's at our our racing levels, you know, when you have purses like this and the jockeys and the trainers and, and the product, we're still far below everybody else. And But you're still making an awful lot of money. I, I think I read that Kentucky Downs, I don't know how many million, but it's a lot of million that you are netting in commission, which may lead some people to say, why aren't you building a grandstand? You have all of this money that you're making off of the re revenue and it comes in. Are you still trying to go for the the country fair kind of vibe there? Is is that what you're going for? Because people might roll up there and be like, whoa, all this money. Why do we have a grandstand? Why isn't there a suite? Why isn't there this? And I well, love Kentucky I, Downs. I, I I I know what you're saying. And so you can't I can't tell you, Zoe, how many times people have said to me, I love this atmosphere. So don't ever change it. Well, the grand putting a grandstand up, I think, would change the the genuine feel of of what Kentucky Downs is really all about. Um, I think people love the the ability to just you know pull up and tailgate at at the top of the stretch or pull out their their um, you know their I call them soccer mom chairs and you know whatever they're you know they're those unfoldable, quick, pop it down chairs. They're all over the place um, mid stretch. And, you know, you're bringing a cooler and you're having fun and you're watching the races. And, and so that's, that's the essence of what this place is. That plus the fact that, you know, you're, you stand there and you look and you're saying to yourself, wow, from the mile pole to the three quarters, that is dramatically uh, elevated. And you, you don't see it that much on television. And then when Larry says they're going down the hill, you really don't see it as much as you do when you're actually here. I know, Bill, you were here a couple of years ago. And, you know, so you you know what I'm talking about. So when they get to that three-quarter pole, there is a dramatic drop. And they go down a hill and around a turn. And and as they actually, I mean, Zoe, you probably wrote here, You when you get to the top of the lane, now you're starting to go back up a hit, going back up a hill a little bit. So those, all of those things you would never want to change. I don't think I'd really want to change the fact that we, you know, putting up a grandstand. Now, will we start to do other things to improve the experience? Yeah. Like I said before, we, we want to do that every year to improve it, but not lose the real true essence of what this place is all about. And, and that's fair enough. I mean, the, the stretch is three eighths of a mile long. It's pretty much the longest stretch in North America. There could be room for both, but yeah. we'll we'll move on from that. It, it's a terrific place to be, and I think I just missed leading rider by one there many moons ago, and I can attest that it really is one of the most unique racetrack, not only surfaces but just the configuration of the downhill, uphill, and being the probably most arduous stretch in North America. If you're on the lead at the head of the lane, you have an awful long way to go. <laughs> and, and you yeah, reference television. Thank, thank you, by the way, for improving the TV <laughs> camera coverage of Kentucky Downs this year. It's, it is noticeable. Well, I, I will tell you, I, I, all that TV credit goes to somebody I worked with years ago at, at Churchill. Uh, his name is David Loyden, and um, he is an old pro uh, at not only TV, but also horse racing TV. And um, he's always coming up with different ideas. Um, the, the, the unique, the, the good thing that we were able to do on the TV this year 
um, was we were able to put a permanent uh, camera on top of one of the the hotel built the, the the it's actually the event center that sits between the hotel and the gaming facility, but it's a permanent location. You get a really good view of the horses as they you know leave the gate and go down to that three quarter pole. Um, David was the one who came up with the idea of putting a camera um, in our cornfields um, that you could shoot as the horses are going around the turn. Um, there's there, unfortunately we only run seven days, so the the TV guys are just now starting to get the, the hang of of switching and making sure that you can see those horses as they're right in front of you as they go past the half mile pole. Um, but all in all, I think we just are always trying to figure out a better way for our guests to, you know, the horse player that's sitting in Des Moines, Iowa, to the guy who's on his computer and, you know, and supposed to be working or doing his homework. Um, they, they, so you can know where your horse is. There's nothing worse than watching a race, having a bet on a race and not knowing where your horse is. Has it surprised you that more Europeans have not made the trek over? I mean, we saw ancient Rome just dominate. Have you been out there sourcing and like treading down, knocking down Aidan O'Brien's door and being like, hey, look, this is what we've got. Where are you? You know, they seem to have thought the Arlington Million disappeared. Why don't you come to Kentucky Downs? You know, we we have made a, a concerted effort to try and 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 you know, get, get horses from Europe to come. Um, I think with the horse um, Ancient Rome winning um, the other day, I think, you know, that will bode well for us down in the future. We had a foreign horse one last year as well, but um, it, it'll come, you know, I think it takes a little while for, you know, word to spread uh, across the pond, but um, we're going to be, being a, a heck of a lot more active in trying to, you know, get that, uh, get that spot of our business, uh, to improve. But, um, it was nice to see. Um, I was actually, <laughs> this is almost embarrassing to say, but I, I actually was the one who, um, made sure that those, that barn was disinfected for the USDA. So ancient Rome owes me a little bit of time. And money because I made sure that that was okay for that USA USDA came in and, and we had to spray a, sp- a specific um, disinfectant and make sure that whole barn and it's it's the old vet barn if you remember it's the old vet barn that um, only had eight stalls so we had two foreign horses in those eight stalls and, but anyway yeah we um we got lucky and and um, he ran big. Ted, can I just add, now that we're on that subject, I just want to add something to it. Um, horses that are not Kentucky breds don't run for the same money as the Kentucky breds. Most European shippers obviously would not be Kentucky breds. Ancient Rome was a Kentucky bred. So didn't that certainly play uh, I- into the uh, plans of the stable to, to come in and, and, and race for the, you know, he's racing for the full tilt for the $2 million purse. Yeah. So, the, you know, that's, part of the, you know, the thought process. But if you are, if, you know, almost to Zoe's point, if you're sitting there in, I mean, I went to Epsom Downs with my son in April and, and um, if, if I was a trainer of a horse there, cause that configuration is somewhat similar to what, what we have. I, I would, even if it's so that 
For example, if the race is a million dollars, and we have a lot of them, if you're running for 600,000 instead of a million, but find me a race in Europe that's not on Arc Day, that's not a million, you know, that's not a $600,000 purse. So if you, if you have a, a, you know, a foreign bred horse and you're thinking, even remotely thinking Breeders' Cup at all, it makes way too much sense for you to bring your horse here, run here, win here, and then you're going to go and, you know, run well in the Breeders' Cup. So it doesn't have to be um, the, the purse only being X comparative to Y because you're a Kentucky bred. It shouldn't play into anybody's, um, you know, thought process. I would think that you should be looking at it and say, wow, we're running for 600,000. That's pretty strong. Can Very you foresee good. having a grade one race there? Is that coming soon? So, Zoe, can you make sure that happens? <laughs> because I was asked by somebody else in the media, like, so what is your dream um, of, you know, going forward? What should happen? What do you want to happen? And I said, I really want to make sure we get a grade one. That's what I want. So we've done everything we possibly can. I've had numerous conversations uh, with with Bill and, and Dave Johnson on their show. And I, it, it's every year we do whatever we can. And I'm keeping my fingers crossed that this is the year, that this is the year that we get over the top in one of our many races that our twos get elevated to one. I guess we'll and find out. Zoe will get the crap. Yeah. Zoe, you... Come January, <laughs> come January, we can have a have a celebration, you know, somewhere, um, somewhere warm. Hopefully, I'll be looking for the check in the mail. <laughs> I'll meet you there. All right. <laughs> Very good. Well, Ted Nicholson, uh, congratulations on all the success Kentucky Downs has had so far. And uh, we'll see if you can top that $80 million handle record was set last year. I'm sure if you continue to have good weather, that's going to fall as well. Kentucky Downs, very special race meet. Uh, the, the, uh, what the, the motto they use uh, or the slogan they use on our radio show is there's unique and then there's Kentucky Downs. I think that speaks very well about how special that track is, especially for the horse players, the horsemen, for everybody in the game. Ted, thanks so much and uh, have a good run for the final week at Kentucky Downs. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Good luck to your you, everybody watching on betting the races. As the Green Group Guest of the Week, Ted Nicholson will receive a free one-hour tax consultation from Lynn Green and Company at the Green Group. If you want to find out more, just go again to www.greenco.com. Are you paying too much in taxes? The Green Group can help. There's a reason the most successful owners, breeders, and horsemen select the Green Group as their tax advisors. They save you money and share successful strategies. Over the past 40 years, the Green Group founder, Len Green, has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport, like Eclipse Award-winning champions Jaywalk and Wonder Wheel. His DJ stable competes at the highest level and has received the game's most prestigious honors. Len Green's in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge, combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies, has produced positive results for his clientele and has made the Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the thoroughbred business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100 or visit our website at www.greenco.com. The Green Group. 
proven strategies to save you taxes. With some of the fullest fields in the country and quality racing year-round, there's never been a better time to reap the rewards of breeding and racing in Kentucky. Purse money in Kentucky is at an all-time high, as is average purse per race, outpacing California, Florida, and New York. Kentucky Breds. Breed them. Raise them. Race them. We all win. Do you know where Kentucky Breds are winning? I'll tell you, all over the world. This week alone, Kentucky Breds won two group races and had a new TDN rising star in England and Ireland. Opera singer, a two-year-old filly by Justify, won the grade three New Tanana stud Irish EBF stakes at the Curra in Ireland to stamp herself as one of the leading two-year-old fillies in Europe. Passenger won the grade three Weatherby's Global Stallions Winter Hill Stakes, try saying that it's a mouthful, at Royal Windsor in England. And then finally, two-year-old Ebden Shaddad was named the newest TDN rising star in England, winning a race at Newmarket. That is three of seven impressive Kentucky bred winners in Europe this past week alone. If you're shopping at Keeneland September, shop Kentucky Breads. Kentucky Breads, breed them, raise them, race them all over the world, literally. Well, we've been spending a lot of time on Saratoga. Let's head out west and find out what's going on at Del Mar. Last weekend, of course, the Pacific Classic and coming up is the final weekend of racing at Del Mar. We obviously want to talk about the Pacific Classic before we get into this. And Zoe, always good to have a jockey on when we talk about jockey issues. Um, it's a new world with the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Authority. Uh, and the Italian jockey, Antonio Fresu, who was second in the standings at Del Mar, um, he was a naughty boy. Uh, he uh, kept accumulating one crop infraction after another. The Once again, you can only strike the horse six times. And then if you go over the six, there's an escalating series of penalties. So you get more points if you hit uh, strike the horse eight versus 10 versus 12 or whatever. So lo and behold, uh, when everything was compiled, they looked at all the points. They looked at the infractions. They they looked at what, uh, again, the, the point structure was. He was given a 32-day suspension for misuse of the whip or overuse of the whip. I, I, I talked to Alberto yesterday, and here's what he had to say. He says, I am new in this country, and where I rode before, you can use the crop more times. When I came here, I needed to change my style and keep count. Most of the times, I was just one over the limit. It's not so easy to keep count, especially when you are fighting for a win or head-to-head with another horse. It's my own fault. The other jockeys adapted to these new rules. Last couple of weeks, it happened three times in three days, and I won every one of those races by a nose. It shouldn't have happened, but I don't think it's really fair. It's not like you're riding in a way where you get other people in trouble or in a bad spot. It's not doing something dangerous, so I think the penalty is a little harsh. Still, I want to change, and I want to improve. I want to do my best and not make mistakes like this anymore. Um you know, this is pretty draconian, 32 days for this, but those are the rules. He understood the rules and he broke them, Zoe. 32 calendar days, so right. not racing days. We have to make that, and he's going to appeal them. Uh, I'm not buying the fact that the whip rules are less stringent in Europe. Everybody knows that they are as stringent as they are here. They always have been. I mean, we've cracked down in recent years in North America, but in Europe, 
They've always been cracked down. So I'm not buying that story. Antonio is a smart guy, a very good rider, and he's doing what he feels he needs to to win. So he's going to pay the cost. I don't know how he'll be able to appeal all 32 days. They are calendar days. We race three days a week at the moment in Southern California. So we'll have to see how that plays itself out. But you break the rules, you're going to pay. He knows the rules. It's going to have to count. It's as simple as that. They're the same rules for everybody else. You do it three times in three days and you win by a nose. Fortunately, the owners aren't having to forfeit the win. That That is very good. But he's going to have to pay. Sorry, Antonio. He's a smart guy. It's not like he's some dumb jock. He's well-spoken, well-traveled, smart guy. I'm sure he can count to six. <laughs> he can obviously count to seven. Just got to learn to count to six. That's all you got to do. He was sufficiently humble and apologetic in what what he said to Bill. You know, he said he thought it was a little draconian or whatever. What's he supposed to say? That, you know, they didn't give me enough? Uh, Of course, he's okay (laughs) that, you know. Uh, But, you know, it sounds like he's going to try to turn over a new leaf. Uh, But, again, like you said, Bill, I mean, the rules have been right there. They've been front and center. They haven't been hidden. This is not a judgment call, basically. Uh, You know, and that you break the rules, you pay the penalty. Yeah. And, and I, you know, people in this game, they love to appeal, but I don't see how he'd have any chance to win in an appeal. I mean, it's right there front and center. You show the, 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 the race and you count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Uh oh, you went over next race. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You know, what, what could they possibly, you know, have to say through an appeal? Um, but, uh, he'll, uh, he'll be having a vacation. As Zoe said, though, keep in mind that's calendar days, not racing days. And, and, and so that makes it a little bit less severe. Okay. So the Pacific Classic to me, the story was the three year olds. And for most of the year, I have been under the impression that this was a really weak group of older horses because everybody and their brother retired last year. I mean, last year's uh, group of three-year-olds and older horses and flight line and, and whatsoever was extremely strong. Nobody came back. I, I mean, hardly anybody of consequence. So you would think the three-year-olds this year might have the edge on the older horses. Normally, we don't get the answer to that until the Breeders' Cup Classic, but the Pacific Classic did provide an early answer, and it affirmed what I thought all along. The three-year-olds are better. Arabian Knight wins it for Bob Baffert. Go Rocket Ride. It was a close second, both of them coming out of the Haskell. Um, I did not like Arabian Knight. Um, uh, he ran a much better race than he ran in the Haskell. And I also didn't like the fact that John Velasquez, uh, I don't know what the behind the scenes thing was, but uh, he didn't come out to the Pacific Classic to ride him. He rode at Kentucky Downs instead, which I thought was a little bit odd. But Randy, I know you've been a big Arabian Knight fan from going back day one. Um, Your take on on what I said about the three-year-olds and, and, uh, you know, how and and both Go Rocket Ride and Arabian Knight certainly uh, look like they will be legitimate contenders in the Breeders' Cup Classic. I guess so. Um, let's, let's talk about this race first, and then we'll talk about the three-year-olds versus older horses in general. Yeah, you're right. I've been a big fan of Arabian Night. I absolutely loved him in this spot. In fact, mm-hmm. thinking that they would take back defunded, which they did since they're both out of the Baffert barn, and it looked to me like Arabian Night would control the pace, and I did not see any way that Go Rocket Ride could beat him. And going down the backstretch, I was patting myself on the back, and then at the quarter pole, I said, uh-oh, uh, but then he comes fighting back on the inside and just manages to hold off Go Rocket Ride. Okay. The three-year-old's clearly better, uh, I think, nationally than the older horses as a group. 
Uh, but in this race, they finished the last quarter mile, Arabian Night and Go Rocket Ride, at about 26 and two-fifths seconds, going a mile and a quarter of the classic distance. That's not very good. Uh, and as a matter of fact, it makes me think that neither of these horses are going to be able to handle Archangelo if he maintains his form out west for the Breeders' Cup Classic. The only older horse out there, well, there are two. One of them is going to surprise you. The main older horse out there, I think, that's waiting in the wings is White Abario. Abario. Mm-hmm. If, he can, if he can maintain the same form that he showed in the Whitney, okay, and Rick Dutrow will probably have him clicking on all cylinders. Uh, that's the only performance by an older horse, uh, figure-wise, that I think is relevant to the Breeders' Cup Classic. But let me, this is, this is going to be a little bit, uh, a little bit out there for some people. Uh, the best horse to me in the Pacific Classic, okay, and he's going to be 40 to 1 if he manages to make it into the Breeders' Cup Classic field. Senor Buscador. Ooh, wow. Okay. This horse is ridden as if he's allergic to the rail. (laughs) He was three or four wide on the first turn. He was five or six wide on the second turn. He was beaten two lengths. Plus, he was spotting both Arabian Night and Go Rocket Ride six pounds, 124 to 118. Won't be quite that much for the Breeders' Cup Classic. If this horse can just be ridden to save any ground whatsoever, and it's not the first time. For Senior Buscador, go back and look at his last race, too. He's way out there in the middle of the track, and he still runs well. It was a very sneaky, under-the-radar performance by Senior Buscador. And if he gets a pace scenario, first, if he gets into the Breeders' Cup Classic field, and then he gets a pace scenario and saves any kind of ground, he might be a horse to throw in your exotics at Santa Anita at a huge price. Perhaps he doesn't like the inside. Perhaps he is allergic to the inside. Some horses will only run on the outside. So, I mean, we'll we'll see what Senor Buscador does. So, yeah, I, I could go with that. I love Go Rocket Ride, and I'm pretty sure that a Arabian Knight got a masterful piece of riding from Flavian Pratt getting the opening quarter in 23.35 on the lead. Now, he's ridden Go Rocket Ride. He knows that horse won't run inside behind horses. He knows that. So Flavian obviously was told, just go to the lead, keep going, slowed it down perfectly, opening quarter. Mike Smith finds himself down on the inside where that horse doesn't like it. He does not like running into dirt, but to his credit, he ran just well enough. He only really started to feel comfortable go rocket ride was when he got outside of Flavian Pratt coming down the lane, but then it was all over. Flavian knew he had enough left in the tank to keep his horse going. And I think that's what's made the difference was Flavian getting that opening quarter, putting his horse on the lead and knowing, because he knows Go Rocket Ride better than anyone, that he doesn't like being down on the inside. And that's exactly where he was. It might be a different scenario in the Breeders' Cup Classic. They were both getting six pounds to the rest of the field, which Am I crazy? Is that not a lot this time of year? Six pounds to older horses? That sounds like a lot, yeah. Seems like yeah. a lot. We're in August. What is, it in, the, what is it in the Breeders' Cup Classic, Randy? Three? Three or four. Three, I think it's 26 yeah. and 22, I think. is 22, what it is. right. It may, it may be three, though. So uh, you mentioned Senior Buscador, Zoe. You may not like the rail. Let me share a pet peeve of mine as it pertains to jockeys. All right? And, and, and maybe you can shed some light on it. You, I, there's really no explanation for it. 
Okay. How many times, how many times do you see with a senior Buscador type horse? Okay. The horse at the back of the pack. No other who horses around. Him? Remind me. Remind me who uh, rode Giovanni it. Frank. Giovanni okay. Frank. All right. So you're at the back of the pack. Okay. You're riding a dead closer. Okay. You're last by three or four lengths. There's no other horse around you. Okay. First turn. You're in the four path all the way around the first turn. Why? Do they not understand physics? Do they not understand <laughs> geometry? It's not physics, it's geometry. I mean, why be out there losing ground in the three and four path when you're all by yourself? Why not tuck in on the rail, cut the corner all the way around the first turn, save all that ground, and then if you want to rally wide on the second turn, go for it. I'm going to pose that question to Giovanni when I see him next week. That exact question. <laughs> I, I, Please I, I will. I'll, I'll record it on my phone and I'll, I'll bring it in and we'll play it. We'll yeah. find now out. He, now, he did have, in his defense, he had, he had another horse inside of him for most of the first turn, right? But you see that all the time with riders who, who are by themselves at the back of the pack or no other horse around them in the middle of the pack. And instead of making an effort to come in a little bit and say, that, yeah, it's, it's a length for every path you're off the rail that you're saving by, com by coming in. And that seems to just like not register sometimes. Okay. That's my pet peeve of the day. Delmar meet will conclude with the two big two-year-old races in the meet, the Delmar debutante and the Delmar futurity. Uh, Bob Baffert has 28 nominated Delmar futurity, which actually, believe it or not, I think is a little less than he normally does. But uh, also uh, been a, uh, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but, but um, unlike Saratoga, Delmar, once again, great safety record. Very, I believe there was only one, Zoe, I don't um, don't want to say something I don't want to be wrong about, but I know that the, the safety record at Delmar again was very, very good. And congratulations to them for, for pulling that off again. So um, we will uh, check in and see what happens with the uh, two two-year-old races at Delmar this weekend. Baffert has won the Delmar Futurity 16 times. He hasn't had nearly the same success in the Delmar debutante. He's only won that one 10 times. Can you imagine that? Wow. Well, he'll have Prince of Monaco two for two. Looks like he will be the overriding winner of that. And then on Saturday, the girls get to go. We'll see Tamara, the Beholder baby, who was so fabulous in her first start. Uh, Dreamfire, she's looking to be two for two at Del Mar. Um, several others in there, Chatless. Uh, and I can't, can't even read my own writing here, but there'll be plenty in the Phillies race there. So. I, I'm going with Tamara. Okay, now, because um, I stumbled around on those numbers from Delmar, let me make sure I've got this right now. Um, this is according to Mac McBride, who works for the Delmar um, Publicity Office. He says, we have not lost a single horse from racing in the afternoon's dirt or turf, not a single horse during the race. Was also true last year, though we had two horses who had raced at the turf, went back to their barns and had heart attacks afterwards uh, because they died within 72 hours of the race. They were counted out as turf breakdowns. Um, so once again, two straight years at Del Mar. And, you know, knock on wood, that will continue through the weekend. Um, there has not been a single horse who died uh, in the afternoon in a race. And as uh, as I say often about Santa Anita, uh, the Southern California tracks have done a terrific job uh, dealing with their own issues with horse safety. Do want to remind you that the TDN Rice's Room is brought to you by XBTV. This week's XBTV Work of the Week is the Wire to Wire Alabama winner, Randomized. 
who worked a sharp half mile on the Saratoga main track on Saturday in 49.33 for trainer Chad Brown. Randomized ran her record to three for five and winning the Alabama in her first graded stakes win back on August the 19th. Here's a nice bit of cross promotion for our sponsors. Look for the half brother to randomize by Frosted selling as hip number 1711 at the Keeneland September sale with Hiddenbrook Farms. We'll be right back after this message. All the thrills. Fraction of the bills. Experience the power of the partnership. Change your life, make new friends, and compete at the highest level of thoroughbred racing. West Point Thoroughbreds, the gold standard in racing partnerships. Visit westpointtb.com. The TD and Riders Room also brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds. Joining a West Point partnership can vault you into the world of instant camaraderie. And look at what happened with West Point this past weekend. If you watched the Flower Bowl at Saratoga on Saturday, Four Horse Field, Parnak goes out, controls the pace, a glacial pace, and then outkick McCulloch down the stretch to score the upset win. Parnak is owned in part by West Point Thoroughbreds, giving West Point partners their fifth winner of the Saratoga meet. Also, they had a nice second in the grade three with anticipation. With Carson's run, both horses could be contenders for the Breeders' Cup at Santa Anita. West Point now heads on to Keeneland September to look for more yearlings like Parnak and Carson's run. That's a wrap on this week's show. Where did all our dogs go? In the beginning, each one of us had dogs. I got we got one. Doodle back there. Where's uh, Lucy? Doodle's uh, jet lagged. Okay. Yeah. I think Lucy's napping upstairs. She's not underneath me. Uh, my wife got screwed up there. I think that's the issue. <laughs> okay. All right. Anyways, well, we'll get our mascots back front and center next week. But I want to thank everybody for tuning in once again for this edition of the TDN Writers Room Podcast. I want to thank my partners, Randy Moss, Zoe Cadman. I want to thank our co-producers, Katie Petruniak and Anthony LaRocca, and our editors, Ali LaRocca and Nathan Wilkinson. Have a wonderful final weekend at Del Mar, and we'll be back at Belmont at Aqueduct in a couple of weeks. Lots of good racing coming up this fall. Thanks for tuning us in. See you again soon next week.